and welcome to the TV Arc on the Arc of E! Network. My name is Noah, and this is our coverage of HBO's Here and Now, Season 1. Apologies right at the top of the episode, listeners. I know I promised I would have these up every Monday, but uh, things changed just a little bit. I'll explain all of it to you right now. Uh, as I mentioned on the first episode, uh, a lot of deaths in the family recently, and so there was a funeral this past weekend for my grandpa Bud in Virginia. So a little bit of a whirlwind trip with that. Schedules got shuffled around, etc., etc. But something positive came out of that. Uh, got to record a giant-sized session with uh, the brothers Blanchard, my cousins Matthew and Patrick, and Gavin was there as well. So a nice giant-sized Blanchard cousins uh, recording session. And two podcasts actually came out of that. We've got a new episode of the Movie Arc, which is already live, entitled Not Another Star Wars Cast. And it's just kind of a hour-and-a-half-long, multi-generational perspective on the franchise, and particularly the uh, the Disney output so far since it was acquired. And we get into all of that. It's a fun conversation, very free-flowing, a lot of tangents and stuff, even if you're not a diehard Star Wars per- person, which I don't consider myself to be. Uh, you should definitely go check it out. That's on the Movie Arc podcast, and we will also uh, very, very soon have a new episode of the Four Color Arc, also recorded during that session, which is kind of a giant-sized uh, 2017 year in review, look back at some of our favorite and least favorite things in the realm of comics and comic-related media, uh, movies, small screen, and the page itself. So keep an ear and an eye out for that one. I will be editing that as soon as I get this up, uh, which was delayed for, again, because of the trip, uh, but I did actually manage to watch episode two Sunday night, but I was rather exhausted after the uh, the about 14 plus hours on the road to get up to Virginia, uh, which was also a cool trip with Gavin. We got to listen to a lot of podcasts together. I'm sure we'll talk about that very soon as soon as I can get him back in the studio to record more stuff and maybe talk him into being my co-host for this. So try to record Sunday night. But uh, my cat, Fife Dog, was just not having it. He was adamant that uh, I'd not be able to record. So for the moment, he is, I believe, sleeping in my living room. But if you hear anything in the background, uh, that is Fife Dog, my cat, the unofficial co-host of my Here and Now coverage, is my cat. Yes, that's that's the only person who's interested in watching it with me. And he does watch every episode, uh, whether he processes any of it or not is another story but he's he's always around when i'm watching this so far so maybe we'll get his thoughts on a later episode for now i'm just hoping he stays quiet so he he also interrupted a session last night when i attempted to record this so uh here we go (laughs) without further ado it is tuesday night i'm way behind on this but hopefully everybody's waiting with bated breath for my thoughts hopefully everybody's on board with the show now and is following it we'll see what happens But without further ado, this is episode two of HBO's Here and Now, and this episode is entitled It's Coming, okay? So uh, once again, no opening credits uh, I thought was rather notable. I'm a huge fan of, again, I'm going to reference it all the time, guys, the Six Feet Under opening credit sequence totally, like, gets you into the mood of the show. But Here and Now doesn't really give you a chance to do that. It just kind of starts, and boom, we get a little title card. And I don't think that's going to change, because that's now two episodes where that's all we get. But we open with Greg and Audrey. They are outside of the therapist's office, where Ramon is being interviewed for his first session. 
by the uh, aforementioned therapist, played by Mr. Peter McDesey. Again, favorite from Six Feet Under fame. Glad to see him back here. And we get into their first session together. And there is basically, you know, the therapist is initially approaching this as like, maybe this is a, a mental health issue, but like, let's try and get to the root of it. So he is suggesting, you know, he encourages Ramon not to use any more uh, illicit substances, uh, watch his diet, etc. See if any of this could be attributed to, you know, something that he's putting into his system, if you will. And Ramon is adamant that this is not, you know, this is not a mental disorder. He's not hallucinating. He's not losing his shit. That this means something. This 11-11 concept that he's being driven towards something. He has some sort of purpose now. So... Again, we had the uh, the picture of the therapist's mother, which was the woman that Ramon saw in his dream. So they get into that a little bit more. And this phrase that she uttered to him, which apparently is delivered in Farsi, but turns out it means it's coming, the title of the episode. What a shocker. Okay, so we move on from the therapy session. We cut away to Kristen's classroom. Uh, and again, I'm not sure if this is a public, private school, not sure that it matters, but this seems like this is going to be Alan Ball's window into kind of showing what youth politics is like uh, at this point, what the dynamic is in schools, how woke, uh, so to speak, certain kids are and certain kids aren't. And we're introduced to a very interesting dynamic, which is going to come up a little bit later in the episode, but the uh, white... uh, (laughs) mainstream kids of the school who feel like they've been a little uh, outnumbered and that they're not being accounted for as much because there's all of these clubs uh, for African-Americans, uh, immigrants, just et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's an interesting perspective on the kind of the alt-right uh, white supremacist perspective, uh, but boiled down to this high school, still kind of liberal leaning perspective. It's, it, it's interesting, but we'll get into more of that in just a bit. Uh, we cut back to the car ride home from therapy. This was Greg, Audrey, and Ramon in the car. And again, Ramon sticking to the point that he believes that there is a purpose to this. And definitely Greg, Tim Robbins, seems very much more open to this than Audrey is. Audrey is just terrified because, as was briefly mentioned in the first episode, she has a brother uh, who suffered from mental illness, and it did not end well. We don't know... All of the specifics yet, but there is a lot of talk about Uncle Ike in this episode. So we're going to stake that in the ground and definitely more on it as it develops. But that seems to be the core sticking point for Audrey and why she is so high strung when it comes to specifically Ramon possibly having some mental illness. Uh, So we uh, move now to uh, Ashley and Duke. Uh, and a little bit more in mention of Uncle Ike, that that's why Audrey is so upset, et cetera, et cetera. We head back uh, later to Greg. Uh, again, Tim Robbins. I'm, I'm trying to familiarize myself with the names, but we head back to Greg, and he is having an eye exam. And, of course, he just had his 60th birthday in episode one. So we're, we're playing with his aging, et cetera, et cetera. The... Doctor gives kind of a a very on-the-nose metaphor about his eyes that he's going to need a a very mild, not heavily invasive surgery because he has a cloud in his eye. His vision has become cloudy, if you will. 
And uh, he asks, you know, so I'll see a lot better afterwards. And the doctor replies, no, of course not. You'll see essentially completely differently. You'll never see the same again. But he says, you know, take comfort in the fact that you haven't seen the same, you know, those weren't the same eyes you had when you were a teenager. You haven't seen the same since then. And again, very on the nose that, you know, as we're exposed to more and more, the more we see over the years, the more, you know, the less naive we become, the more jaded we may become. So all of that, you know, again, walking the line of being a little on the nose, which a lot of stuff does in this episode. A lot of stuff's very much in your face. There is very little subtlety uh, at play in the show so far. So we move on from there. A uh, brief little scene of Ashley and her daughter uh, brushing their teeth together. Then back over to uh, Mr. Peter McDesey, and we realize that we're going to see the therapist's home life as well. He has a greater role to play here. We're introduced to his transgender, gender fluid. There's even a conversation about it in the episode Son, who also attends the same school as Kristen and is in her class. That's kind of a, another connective point that we make in the course of this episode. Okay. And they, it's very interesting, just the dynamic of the family. They are very much a modern uh, Muslim family from what we can see. And I'm, I'm interested to, to learn more about them, particularly the son. Interesting dynamics there. The father seems very accepting of the son, as we see more of in the episode, but more than anything, just concerned about everyone else's perceptions and how much of a another hurdle that's going to add beyond just uh, race and religion, but bringing in sex and gender to it. So interested to see where that goes. Uh, and glad we're going to get more, again, of Peter McDesey, whose character name I, I need to look up uh, while I'm talking about some other stuff. Oh, we get another mention of something very significant which is that 11-11 is the therapist's birthday. We saw him make a note earlier uh, where he had 11-11 written down on the page and puts a, a slash mark through it. And he, you know, offhandedly mentions it to his wife, and he's talking about just kind of the crazy coincidence of this, and the wife, you know, thinks he shouldn't make too much of it. Uh, we move on to Audrey and Greg in bed, and I'm expecting this to transition into a fight because, again, uh... They started to get into it a little bit towards the end of the episode, uh, in episode one, but I, I was kind of waiting for more of it, and I was really surprised here that we don't get that. Uh, Tim Robbins, uh, Greg literally says in the scene, he's like, you know, I was I was being an asshole last night. Like, I, I was in a shitty place, and I was being mean to you for no reason. Like, very much the way we feel that, like, any couple that's been together this long, like, obviously something this small is not going to, like... It's not going to bend them out of shape. It's not going to be this huge issue that runs throughout the series. Uh, and this kind of transitions me. I don't know if we've quite gotten to it. I'm kind of working through chronologically. I've got a bunch of scrolled, scrawling, sprawling notes here. But this also parallels something that we see, <clears throat> excuse me, with Ashley. And of course, in episode one, there was the possibility that she was trying to hook up with the guy that she brought from work, the guy who offered her blow that was partying with her and Duke before they went to the birthday party. One thing I did not mention is that, of course, her husband is going to be there with her child, and so she comes up with a cover story very quickly, and the guy she brought actually ends up hooking up with Kristen, 
which is going to play into this episode very heavily. But yes, they hooked up at the end of the previous episode where Kristen, as you will recall, was wearing a horse mask, uh, which she was through most of the back half of the episode. Not not the most interesting visual. Don't quite know where we're going with that. But in, anyways, okay. So that happened in the previous episode. And so I'm thinking, oh, is this going to be this secret thing? Is she constantly cheating on her husband or like flirting with the possibility of maybe cheating on her husband? But that all comes out in the course of this episode, and they deal with it very directly. So again, these conflicts that seemed like they were maybe being set up within the first episode is like, this is going to be the huge thing for this character throughout the season. You know, the the drama of that being dealt with very, uh, I would say more than anything, realistically. I feel like the way that people who have known each other or been in relationships for long periods of time deal with uh, those sort of things and the way they talk to each other with a particular shorthand. So I'm enjoying that the threads so far narratively that I thought were going to be the big things or maybe just that they were going to zero in on the moment-to-moment drama, it seems like it's going to be about more than that. So I, I, I like where we're at right now. But back into the episode proper. Uh, we transition from that uh, fight-not-fight, as I have it noted here, between Audrey and Greg, to Ramon in his apartment with the barista, who he's formed uh, quite the ongoing relationship with, so it seems, and he's showing him a video game that he's been working on in his apartment, and the video game itself is actually a recreation of his apartment, uh, and we get the feeling that this is probably like gonna would work in VR, is what it seems like. And he's got kind of all of these random sketches across his room. We saw a little bit of this in episode one, but we get a lot more of it here. And very interesting. He's he's a game designer, apparently. Did not know that. So, uh, Ashley uh, is with her husband, and she gets a call from Kristen. And Kristen is very concerned that she may have gotten an STD from her friend. So... More on that in just a few. Uh, we're back to the therapist with Ramon and uh, a little bit more talk about the porous mind, which is something I need to look into a bit more as it relates to 11.11 and the 11.11 phenomenon. So more on that in future episodes, guys. I think that that's going to be something worth deep diving on a little bit. Just the whole 11.11 phenomenon. If you have any stories about 11.11, uh, if you feel like you see it a lot, if you're constantly, oh, I'm looking at my phone, it just happens to be 11.11, or I just find myself looking at a clock, anything like that. Uh, if you have any weird stories, any more inf- like in-depth information on 11.11, let me know. Uh, the of e at gmail.com. And as always, if you have any feedback on this episode, uh, on the podcast, on any of the podcasts, you can hit me up there. If you want to be a part of this show, if you have any notes on the episodes or upcoming episodes, please let me know. I will include those in a mailbag section in the future. And as always, if you're interested in co-hosting with me, still totally open to that. Uh, This is not a desperate plea for help of any kind. I think I can handle this, but again, I'm trying to keep it brief since it's just one guy talking, because I don't know how much I can stand editing the sound of just my voice. So, again, thearchivy at gmail.com, any feedback, suggestions, any episode uh, stuff you want to talk about, just let me know. Moving right back into it, uh, Duke has a meeting with uh, another another Six Feet Under alum, uh, Father Jack, who I was a big fan of that character in Six Feet Under, uh, 
But he here plays a a book editor. Uh, he represents the publishing house that has handled apparently a lot of Greg's early work, and Duke is trying to get a book released. And basically, they are like, We're, "We want to publish you, but we want to do it in tandem with the I believe what's going to be the ten or twenty year anniversary. It may even be more. I, I'll double check in my notes, but uh." the anniversary of one of Greg's earlier novels. And we can clearly see that Duke is like, yeah, I'm going to go along with this because this is how I need to get done. But he's not happy about essentially being in his dad's shadow. Very, very interesting. Okay? Clearly, clearly some uh, some daddy issues. We cut back to Ramon and the barista, and Ramon talks a little bit about dreams he used to have of uh, being surrounded by shadows and shadows carrying him away. And I feel like that, well, the minimal, minimal amount of research I've done on the 11-11 phenomenon, some people believe that when you see the 11-11, when it catches your attention uh, in any way, shape, or form, that that is a spirit calling out to you, or it means that a spirit, friendly, presumably, is nearby, that it can symbolize that. So, worth noting. Shadows dancing around him, and he's been thinking about this for a long time, apparently since childhood. So, Ashley uh, takes Kristen to a clinic, free health clinic, which also apparently performs abortions. We've got a bunch of activists outside, anti-abortion activists, and again, not subtle at all with the uh, with the commentary here. Alan Ball clearly pro-choice, uh, as am I. I guess I'll say that on mic. But, uh, yeah, so we we hit that. But basically that scene escalates uh, between Kristen and one of these protesters and culminates with her kicking him in the balls. Uh, a very humorous scene, but very realistically, she and Ashley are very shortly after hauled off to jail for some sort of processing. And we'll get into that in just a few <laughs> Audrey's at the school with the principal, again, Six Feet Under alum. Uh, he was the movie producer towards the back half that Keith did security for, and uh, David tried to punch out or bite, if I remember correctly. Uh, not kind of hazy on that at this point. Anyways, uh, Audrey has seen a poster for this. Uh, I, I keep wanting to just flat out call it a white supremacist group, but a uh, no, Europe, people of European descent club, essentially. And she can kind of tell from the get-go that this might be an issue. So she suggests let's get this, you know, let's get everybody together and just kind of talk through all of this and all all moderate. So more on that in just a bit. A lot of very cross-cutty. And again, no real kind of natural narrative flow. uh, But these are the things that happen in this episode. And again, we'll just get through it. I'll give you my overall thoughts when we get towards the end. Uh, We have a scene with Greg teaching a class, giving a somewhat rambling, big, impassioned speech uh, that culminates with him telling everybody in his class to just go. Go outside and live life, essentially. Live in the here and now. Uh Plug, plug. And... But he's clearly, he's, he's searching for something in the course of this, and he's feeling a little bit as if maybe, maybe he hasn't gone about his life as, as well as he could. And, and this seems like a late-in-life crisis. This is kind of a, what you would normally expect from a, a Lester Burnham type from American Beauty, 
what you're getting here with, with Tim Robbins. So interested. Uh, the TA seems very concerned. Again, this was the TA that showed up at the party. He's obviously a huge fan of his writing. And he's like, you know, are you doing okay? And he kind of brushes it off, but there you go. But I, I entitled this the Stop Thinking Speech. He's encouraging everybody to, to live in the moment, stop self-analyzing so much, stop, you know, pounding all of that into their head. So, And it seems kind of counter to a lot of what they've been covering thus far in his philosophy class. So some people were kind of just, you know, completely perplexed by this, including the TA. And this is like the second mention to a very... Uh, I think Alan Ball's not a huge fan of phones, uh, particularly social media and just people being glued to their phones all day. It's like the second or third mention in the episode of, you know, maybe we should get rid of our phones. Oh, anyways, uh, we move on to a sequence at a lovely waterfall in the, the woods of Portland uh, with Ramon and his friend, whose name, again, I... Terrible that I don't have this guy's name in front of me, and my my phone is out of reach. So we're just we're just gonna keep rolling, guys. We're gonna keep rolling. <laughs> Anyways, uh, and this was the the standout shot of the episode for sure. Uh, very cool pullback, uh, wide angle, probably shot with a crane or uh, in all likelihood actually a drone at this point. I don't even know if cranes get used that much anymore. Uh, yeah, so very cool shot there at the waterfall. Again, their romance seems to be blossoming. Very much so. Very, very interesting. Kristen in jail is what I have next. And that is juxtaposed with Ashley's experience in processing here. Kristen is, you know, cracking jokes, cracking wise with the uh, the examiner, the officer who's inspecting her. And Ashley gets essentially completely dressed down, um, just, I'm fumbling, what is the opposite of emasculated? I have nobody here to answer that. She, uh, she's forced to remove her wig, uh, just a lot of power moves going on in this sequence. I, it's a very subtle, this was maybe the most subtle it got, but it's still in your face, uh, at the same time, if you're paying attention, but it, I guess it didn't spell things out. Uh, as much as some other stuff in the episode. But basically you have Kristen, you know, young, privileged, white woman, and you have Ashley, who's, you know, presumably power, you know, powerful businesswoman, whatever she does in the field of design, seems to really be put together, but she seems kind of just like broken by this experience. And partly, part of that I feel like is because it's like, how how is this still happening to me? Like, it doesn't matter how adjusted or assimilated I am, quote-unquote, and that's that's some interesting identity stuff to be playing with. Uh, I, I'm interested in more of it. I, I want more depth to it, but it's definitely there uh, in this episode. Now, we move into uh, the thing that kind of snapped me awake in the episode, if I'm being honest. This is uh, what I entitled... Duke's sex scene montage. And I'm a little confused. I'm hoping listeners can maybe help me with this. As we learned in the first episode, Duke is celibate. Okay? But uh, in the course of this montage, we see him in a hotel room and in the lobby or bar of that hotel room with uh, a, a total of four different women, I believe, 
uh, two of which are, are separated, sing, single encounters, and one of which is a threesome, but it's basically sex scene on top of sex scene on top of sex scene, and the cyclical nature of sex scene, shower, back to the bar, you know, rinse, repeat, essentially. And I was a little confused as to whether the uh, the meeting that he had had with the book editor kind of set him off on this, and he was breaking his celibacy, and it's like, okay, maybe this is the dark place that he goes to, and this is why he's been celibate, because he's essentially a sex addict. I don't know if that's what we're meant to be being indicated. Or are we seeing this as a flashback to what he was like pre-celibacy, and he is considering this again, given his current state of, you know, not upsetness over the, the book deal. Not not quite sure, but it's, again, it is HBO. It's it's very graphic, but very quick cutty. Uh, not crazy about the song choice in this section, but we also, throughout this sequence, are cross-cutting back to him as a child, and it looks like he was possibly raised in a, a whorehouse of sorts, or a, uh, a red light district of some sort in Vietnam. So I'm sure we'll be getting more into that. As I recall from one of the tr early trailers, him trying to find his birth mother, I believe, is probably going to play heavily into this first season. So we'll see where that goes. Okay, so we're back with Audrey and Kristen. Kristen has found out that she has chlamydia. So, yeah, she did get an STD from uh, Ashley's friend that she brought to the party. And that's a whole thing. And Ashley now has some splaining to do, as I mentioned before. And kind of, she she puts it all on the table. She admits to what she did with the guy, that this is not, doesn't mean anything, that this was just kind of a, a thing to have fun. I don't know if there's more to, more to be mined there or not. I don't see if we're going to see this behavior coming up again. We'll, we'll see. But... She admits to the alcoholism, the uh, drug abuse a little bit, and again, puts all this on the table, you, what you think might be kind of a, a marriage ender sort of conversation, and they end up kind of just working through it and laughing it off. So again, another piece of drama that doesn't quite go where you think it's going to go. Cut back to Greg at the car wash, and I did not mention this in the uh, in the first episode, but he was gifted a uh, a sex toy, a a cock ring uh, with a, a stimulator. Uh, he was gifted on his birthday, and this uh, is in the floorboard of his car and is found by the uh, young men who are cleaning it at said car wash, and they make a joke about it. And as he approaches, they quickly put it in the glove box. I only mention that because I'm pretty sure it's going to be coming up. Very soon. Of course, this was gifted to Greg by his prostitute girlfriend, mistress. Don't know what we're calling her as of yet. But presumably, Audrey does not know about this. And I feel like that's going to come to head. Or maybe somebody else finds it. Who knows? We'll see. And maybe, again, this is setting us up for something that's not going to be this point of tension. Because that seems like that might be the M.O. of this show. Which... Could get a little tedious, but I, I like to be surprised. So we'll see what happens. Moving right along, uh, we've got a lovely scene under the stars where Henry and Ramon talk about just some of the darkest slash weirdest things they've ever done. And Henry tells the story of 
collecting spiders in a jar and then filling it with water and shaking it, watching them slowly die. Kind of fucked up. And uh, Ramon talks about doing something uh, with lunch meat, which I'll let you find out when you watch the episode. He, uh, this little moment, is interrupted by a text from Kristen, and she informs him that there's going to be a family meeting concerning Ramon, but not involving Ramon. It's for everybody except for Ramon, being organized behind his back. And obviously, Kristen is not okay with this, so she feels the need to let him know. Leads us into family meeting again, something that is never directly referenced as a family meeting in Six Feet Under, but they happen a lot when you get them all in one room together, and those are always fun scenes. So going into this one, I'm, I'm expecting fireworks, you know? And they're not quite there. Uh, this is basically a giant debate over what to do about Ramon, what the situation is. Uh, Audrey's adamant, again, kind of echoing what the therapist had said, that Kristen, you know, maybe not offer him any marijuana in the future, uh, that they not encourage him to drink, et cetera, et cetera, and let her know if anything is going on with him. He, of course, crashes the family meeting. Again, further reiterates, there's something legit going on with me. This is not, this is not a test. This is not a joke, essentially. Okay. And he tells her that she's going to have to be okay with the notion that, like, he may be being called towards something and that maybe not everything is going to be all right. Uh, so that's kind of the note we're left on there. Thought it might be the episode ender, but it's not. Cue one of my favorite songs ever. So glad to hear it. You heard it at the beginning of the episode. Uh, Mirror in the Bathroom by the English Beat. I was originally introduced to this song from in the film Gross Point Blank, Great Hidden Gem. If you've never seen it, kind of a cult classic, starring Mr. John Cusack. Min Mini Driver has a great 80s and early 90s soundtrack. Go check that out, first of all. Uh, but yeah, so we get Mirror in the Bathroom and Tim Robbins singing along to Mirror in the Bathroom, which is just a treat for me because there's the whole Tim Robbins, John Cusack, tape heads, high fidelity thing. I think they're buds. I assume they're still buds. So those, that was all kind of clicking in my brain. I was like, okay, awesome, fun scene. And uh, all of this, and he's following his GPS, driving. Uh, we don't know if he's going for a run. We actually don't know where he's headed. Uh, and boom, he stops. And we're at an intersection, my friends. And wouldn't you know it, whether he goes left or he goes right, he will be on highway 11. So, of course, for the first time, Greg is faced with 11. 11. Okay? And earlier in the episode, we saw him researching the phenomenon. We flash cut back to this in this moment. And he's being told, if I'm not mistaken, take a left by the GPS. And in this moment of staring at 11.11, Greg makes the choice to take a right. Okay? Pull back to a nice overhead shot. Again, mirror in the bathroom, cranked. And last line of the episode comes from the GPS. Not when possible, but if possible, make a U-turn. Okay? And again, not much subtlety here to me. Uh, Greg seems like he is headed down a bit of a dark path. He's been questioning a lot of just 
the nature of his existence at this point, what his life has meant up to this point. And now, throwing in the element of the 1111 obsession, I like the idea that this is not, maybe not just going to be a Ramon thing. So we'll see where this goes. It might just be a coincidence. We're not really sure. But for now, we end again with Mirror in the Bathroom. Great music cue. I, I liked the ending of this one much more than the first episode. And I'm, I'm excited to see where we go from here. But uh, again, I don't know how I'm feeling about the dialogue uh, overall right now. There are just a few moments uh, that I feel like could have stood for some more editing. And again, I don't know if that's stuff where they're overhitting it on the day because they're like, we got to make sure we have this bit in here. And then it never gets whittled down out of the screenplay. But there's just things that I think are hit a little too hard. Uh, Uncle Ike and Audrey's anxiety over that. I feel like it's the kind of thing that they're like kind of wanting to background hint at it right now for when it eventually like pays off and we get more detail on it. But I feel like I've already been kind of hit over the head with it. The, uh, we also kind of stake in the ground in this episode that we may have our first quote unquote villain. I feel like in shows like this, you don't get like outright villains, more, more foils, uh, nemesis, whatever, however you want to phrase it. But, uh, the, uh, the leader of the, uh, people of European descent, uh, group at Kristen's school who acquiesces to, uh, the controversy in that scene, which I didn't go into much detail on, but basically he's like, yeah, no, we're, we're going to not petition anymore for having our own separate club. Like maybe it was in poor taste and, you know, Audrey thinks she's won the day essentially like, Hey, I sat them down. I had them talk out their issues and they're better for it. Like here we are. But we, if you're paying attention at all, it's very clear that this is not going to be the last of this kid. And I think we get a little bit of a hint in the next week on that this is not the last of that. There's going to be more drama at the school. And we're probably going to dive more and more into just the politics of everything today. Uh, and I hope that it will be handled with a little bit more deafness than what I saw in this episode. Because what I saw in this episode really seemed like throwing all sides of an argument into a blender and then putting them in the mouths of characters that I don't know these characters, so I don't know if these are meant to... <laughs> I, I don't know how to take it coming from a, a mass crowd in this sort of debate scenario like this. It really just feels like kind of shouting into the darkness your different sides of an issue. And I... I hope that stuff is explored, again, with a little bit more subtlety and a little bit more deafness in future episodes. So that's that's something that's a little bit of a sticking point for me right now. Uh, I hope this show can be all the things that it wants to be, that it, in the way that Six Feet Under kind of ended up being about everything and, uh, you know, life, death, and everything in between, I hope this show can kind of do that with a, a modern lens on it, approaching how we live life. Here in the here and now, again, to be as cliched and punny as possible. But I don't want this to, to fall. I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm being preached at for an hour straight. And I, I feel like Alan Ball and I, I agree on a lot of these issues. Uh, but I also feel like we, we disagree on them. And I don't want this to just turn into a, a giant diatribe of a show. I, I want to invest in these characters, not just the ideas and the opinions that they represent, if you will. So that's where I'm at with it right now. 
And again, we will be back next Monday with episode three. Uh, Don't have the title on that one yet. They haven't revealed it on IMDb, and I can't see it on HBO yet. So uh, I will try and get that one up in time for Monday. Again, sorry for the delay. Thank you for sticking with us, and uh, thank you for anybody who listened to the first episode of our Here and Now coverage. If you're still hesitating on checking it out, I'm still a... uh, I'm a soft recommend at this point. Uh, It's not one that I can outright shout from the heavens. You know, after two episodes, this is one of the best things on television. I I can't unequivocally say that. Whereas, you know, something like The Deuce uh, from last year, you know, an hour in, and I was like, this this is right up there in the conversation immediately. This is one of the best new shows on television. So I I can't quite levy that uh, praise or level that praise on... uh, on here and now at the moment, but I, I hope I can, I hope I get more invested as it goes along. But again, this, this might be the, uh, the podcast and the viewing experience that, you know, makes me fall a little bit out of love with Alan Ball. But for right now, we're still, we're still good. I still love you, buddy. I love you. And, uh, and, and I'm here. I'm here for the next eight weeks, people. We can do this. I, I will, I will be here on Monday. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you to my unofficial co-host, Fife Dog, who uh, did not make any noise in that great, guys. All I had to do was introduce him, and he was chill for the entire episode. So thank you for that. Again, any feedback on this episode? If you have any notes on past episodes, let me know. TheRKV at gmail.com. I will talk about them on a future episode. If you want to co-host with me, let me know there as well. And as always, follow us on Instagram, The Arc of E Network, and on Twitter and Facebook at The Arc of E for all updates on all of our podcasts and new articles on the site as well. You can go to thearcofe.com. Once again, for the TV arc and our coverage of HBO's Here and Now Season 1, this has been Episode 2. It's coming, and I have been Noah. Remember, people, live in the here and now.